1: Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. If you can find the time to explore the mind of a stripper,
2: then you can find the time to spend with your actual family. Prime time with Isaac and Sue Damn! Um, what they on? All steroids and no carbs. They're the big-ass kids. This is Primetime. We're not Prime like you. We're grown up, up. Your source for the best in local, regional, and national sports. Ah! Here are Isaac Rop and Jason Sakanik with Primetime on 1080, The Fan. Hey, 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 happy Thursday afternoon, you beautiful Portland listeners. I hope you are having a wonderful afternoon. I am Luke Anderson filling in for both Isaac and Souk, but that's not the most important part. That means since I'm here, we get to bring in a lot more of this man, Ryan Buckley. What? is happening sir what's shaking my friend how are you i am i'm okay okay it's it's a weird week right like i had to look down and figure out what day it actually was
1: day and date constantly get lost on me this week every year
2: yeah oh yeah absolutely it's It's one hundred percent the weirdest week of the year for a lot of reasons, but it is just a limbo where you just look down at the calendar and go, I have no idea what's actually happening today, and if you have
1: friends or family ask if you want to like get together on Thursday, I mean, you don't know what that actually means if that's two days from now, if that's three days from now if it's today, if it was yesterday,
2: yeah well, and then it's it's like working like I mean, yes, this is uh is technically our jobs, yes, um, but like getting work done where you have to interact with any other businesses or anything is just—it's kind of a mess. Yeah. Um, at least the weather's better this week, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, just getting around—it just feels eerie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, how was uh, how was your holiday season, sir? Uh, you had. What, a bunch of uh, best-of shows? Yep,
1: yep, we did Uh, uh, three or four of those, and then I road-tripped down to the Bay Area where it was about 30... Degrees warmer and oh, nice. uh, okay. so yeah, when we got down there, it was about sixty and clear and that was lovely.
2: But it was like thirty degrees warmer like Eugene, wasn't it? Like you didn't have to go that you didn't have to travel all that far. Yeah, no,
1: you you didn't. But uh that's where we ended up, and then we were staying at my dad's house uh for four or five days through Christmas. Yeah. And uh made the trek back two days ago, did the whole thing in uh one day with the toddler, it's about eleven hours door to door. Yeah. And uh and then
2: <laughs> with the toddler, like that like a adjust- job. Well, We've adjusting done for t- yeah, how t- we've we've how done that t- drive
1: before and it's about nine hours and fifteen okay. minutes. And so we have to kind of do one big stop in the middle. What we've taken to doing is finding like a public library somewhere where he can go and ah. run run around and we can change him and um it's a place to get energy out and take I a little bit of a break.
2: Sh- I'm just picturing you at a public library with a screaming toddler, yeah. and then you grab him, throw him on a table, and change his diaper in front of everybody. Well, this
1: was really special because we were uh, <laughs> almost the exact midway point between Portland and the Bay Area. It was Redding, California. Sure. And, uh, you know, I, I've i been through there many times going to and from Shasta and, and stuff like that and just making this drive, but had never stopped at the library, and we did it twice on this trip on the way there and on the way oh, back. Oh, nice. um, But th- it was also, like, the number one hangout in all of Reading for the junkies. Um, and so really? That's nice. The inside of the library, pristine, wonderful, like great toy setups, great book setups, like awesome kids section, fun lights and decorations. Outside, some of the seediest individuals you'll find in Northern California. It that's was really fantastic. something.
2: That's interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't think of, well, I don't know. I'm trying to picture other libraries I've been to. Downtown, the Multnomah Library here in, uh, in Portland, there's definitely seedy folks hanging around the outside of that. And uh, I don't know if
1: it's because it's like a place that they feel like there are some there are some free services, and maybe they don't they can't afford the security to keep them away ooh. or something like that. Or are they going in there
2: to use the internet?s
1: So I don't. It, it didn't seem like there were uh, many people of that ilk inside the library, but there were a couple. Comings and goings to and from the bathroom, where people are asking for keys, yeah. and the per- person's looking at them kind of sideways, like, "Should I give you the key to the bathroom, or are you going to go do something in there that you shouldn't?"
2: If yeah, if you can read, you have probably have some change jingling in your pocket. Is that kind of the assumption too? I, I don't, uh, I don't
1: know. I, I, don't know. I, I didn't spend too
2: much time analyzing it. I just know yeah. it was an
1: odd juxtaposition to have this lovely little whimsical kids' area with uh, people <laughs> shooting up outside.
2: Yeah, well, that also describes the Odyssey building here. So <laughs> that's true. It's you know very whimsical, whimsical on inside. the inside, shooting it, up on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> it's, all, it's, it's all good. Uh, so, good. You had a good drive. Good Christmas. Welcome back. Uh, you were in for the post game yesterday?
1: Yeah. I uh, we, we made it back in time so that I would be in town for the game, and then uh, we had a little bit of musical chairs because uh, Will Ortner was doing double duty on Les Schwab Invitational sure. and uh, this. So, it was me and Jordan starting the show with a couple guests coming in, then Will came in on the back half, and uh, a fun one because uh, it looked dire for a while.
2: Well fantastic um so is this your plan for all Christmases because now that you have a child and I don't know if you have intentions of having uh siblings uh, in the immediate future or just kind of hang out with uh with uh, the one child for now
1: that's undetermined at the moment sure but
2: um as far I think what we're gonna do
1: because it's always like the juggle of who has parents and relatives yep. wear, and we're trying to, you know, coordinate with my brother who has a kid about the same age as my son, um, and so I think it'll be like an every other year thing. And so, your son
2: is, is is just over a year? A,
1: he's a little over a year and okay. a half now, okay. so, um, and then, and then uh, my niece is a year, and yeah. so it, the, the two of them had a, a good time, but I don't think we're going to do it every year. I think it'll be an every other year thing, okay. and then maybe people will come visit us or you know some yeah. other... Iteration of that. What? What about you and the twins?
2: Yeah. So we we've settled into Christmas is a day of nothing, which is absolutely nice. delightful. It's like. We do. I can dig that. We do not leave the house. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We talked about maybe doing a movie. My wife works for a movie theater. Though. That's right. She's like that. she doesn't want to see anybody that she works with, Fair. but it's uh, it's a nice theater, so she doesn't really want to watch movies anywhere else. So we just we've kind of just decided a few years ago we're like you know what let's just stay home. The kids are going to get toys. They're going to play with them at some point. They're not going to want to be there. And the girls are how old now? They're six. Okay, so they turned six in November. Um, but the big mess was uh, our. we decided a few years ago. So my mom has always had the uh, belief that Christmas is whenever we can get the whole family together. And her mom always did New Year, or, uh, Christmas Eve. So we always did Christmas Eve at Grandma's, and we did that from the time that I was born. And my grandma fa- passed away a few years ago, so we told my mom, we're like, hey, I know that you want to make sure everybody is there, but why don't you just take over Christmas Eve? It'll be your holiday and we'll be we'll be there when we can if we can't whatever one year we did christmas in uh, March on St. Patrick's Day. Wow. Like, we just couldn't make it work any other time to get the entire family Okay. Somewhere. So, yeah. like, you know what? Let's just have it. We can celebrate St. Patrick's Day on St. Patrick's Day. We can all get together another time, but it doesn't have to be Christmas. Felt like a bit of a stretch. So, uh, but this year, uh, my nephew couldn't be there till 8 o'clock. He's, his parents have dual custody. Okay. And so every other year. But we did our party starting at 8 p.m., kept the twins up until uh midnight Whoa. uh celebrating christmas eve got home we all fell asleep and guess what santa showed up still did the presents so it was all good but the funny thing was uh our our two twins could not have more difference in personalities okay one of them wakes up at seven o'clock after going to bed at like 12 30 midnight uh the other one wakes up at 10 a.m. So we had one child that we just needed to keep occupied while the other one slept in. Uh, but once everybody woke up, uh, we got into, uh, we got on the whole Christmas thing and we just sit back and watch, man. It's a blast. So that's why I was asking you specifically, like when you have kids, it's like how much, how much do you want to lean on tradition? Yeah. How much do you stretch to try to get family? When my wife and I got together, we used to fly back and forth um, on Christmas and on Thanksgiving to see both families. Okay. Because the cheapest day to fly and the easiest day to fly was on the holiday most people didn't want to do it yeah yeah and so we did that but then we just kind of slowly moved away from that once we had kids we're like all right this is what we're going to (laughs) do if you guys want to join us here's where we're going to be so her family has an open invitation from southern california to come up and hang out with us on christmas day we go down there for thanksgiving we hang out with my mom on on christmas eve and then that's it so try to make it as simple as we can and all my wife did this year was just go all right, we just did this thing that we've been doing for a few years. Uh, What do you think? Scrap it or keep it? It was like the entire holiday season was like, all right, we did this. You want to keep doing it? Scrap it. We're just trying to eliminate as much as we can. So if I can give you any advice, just start eliminating things now. Simplify it make it so it's a little bit easier
1: yeah i can dig that and we're we're big on just the flexibility factor so our plan was to kind of like celebrate with uh with our family up here just before we went down there for the holidays but then my mom caught COVID on a business uh, trip and yeah. so so we split it up and we did a, a celebration before with my wife's parents and a celebration after with my parents and and then with you know my dad's side of the family in the middle and so the kiddo basically got three christmases he loved it
2: yeah yeah, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing I came up with this holiday season. Well, not this holiday season. Last holiday season, and I'm going to expand upon it. But my parents' birthdays are December 10th and December 11th. My dad was okay. born on uh, the 10th. My mom was born on the 11th. So their birthdays are one year and one day apart. And uh, for for years, it's like dude, buying presents for your parents is uh, never an easy task, but it's a gesture that is required, right? So what I decided to do last year was just take them both out for dinner individually. So we go, hey, mom, okay. just me and you, dinner. Dad, just me and you, dinner. That is one of my new favorite traditions. And I've, I think I've decided that that is just going to expand to my siblings. I'm going to start doing it for my nieces and nephews. Like, I'm just, like, the idea of getting people gifts, like, at Christmas, I don't know how you did on gift giving and gift receiving this year, but usually it's about 25% awesome. 25%. All right. And 50%. Okay, thanks.
1: So, we did something different this year and it was uh my brother was the catalyst for it. He and his wife are all about finding the most efficient ways to go through life, life hacks, and and where can I save time, where can I make things easier on us, ourselves, yeah, yeah. and so they found this, uh, this app called Giftful, and basically oh, what okay. you do is you create a profile for yourself, and it's just like your email address, and yeah. it doesn't cost anything, but then as you find stuff online that you like, you just throw those links in there, and then you can give your profile to ah. other people in your family, they can claim items, they know exactly where to go to find them, and you don't see what they've picked out and what they haven't, so all like, right. you you can kind—it's—it's of, kind of like a modern way of making a list for yourself. Well, my, it's a
2: registry. Yeah,
1: but my brother, yeah, it's a registry. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you can also make like my wife made a profile for her and for our son, so she. Oh yeah, yeah. Stuff for, for That's him what we too. need for and, the kids. And uh, and my brother suggested that we all do it just to make it easier for everyone. And it was pretty simple to just like go through like all right, Ooh. I'm going to go through these six profiles and pick one thing from each of them, and that was that. And oh, so yeah, and then you, you end up in turn getting a lot of the stuff that you wanted because you put it on your own list,
2: dude. Now, see, I'm so glad we had this conversation. I was thinking, here we are doing the cliche, how was your Christmas? I just learned something. Yeah, that's that is delightful. It's called giftful. Giftful. Yeah, giftful. All right. Well, there you go. And you can just make profiles because we're gonna do that for the kids. I'm gonna start stacking up things on them i put uh, a six hundred dollar
1: basketball hoop on there for my backyard no, <laughs> no, no one no one gave it to me <laughs> really <laughs> yeah, that's that's, too dis-
2: that's pretty disappointing yeah, now can people uh team up on it can you like uh, i don't know can if it has others that, and go hey
1: i don't know if it has that capability because that's what happened that's how i got uh my traeger uh pellet smoker for my wedding i put it on our target registry yeah. and like five people teamed up <laughs> to buy it so nice. yeah
2: well, that is the way to do it. All right. Uh, hey, do you want to talk some sports today? We can sports a little bit. You are wearing your Oregon uh, sweatshirt right now.
1: Uh, I am wearing a long-sleeve tee, and it, it, oh, does, it's a long it sleeve is, in tee. fact, emblazoned with the Ducks it, logo. It
2: very much so is. I would like to talk about last night's game, but more so... I'm very curious uh, with the journey that was this season on the Oregon Ducks. So we'll start with the game that was played, and we'll kind of move into this season. Because it's a nice nice 10-win season. It's good, but there's a lot of ups and downs to it. And I was just thinking of how different our perception is of the Ducks compared to Who's going to be the starting running back going into that Georgia game? And nobody had ever heard of Bucky Irving. And here he is winning the MVP last night. Uh, Also, we need to talk about uh, some NBA stuff. Uh, Grayson Allen's still terrible. Uh, We need to get into uh, nicknames. Uh, We need to talk about Pele. It's going to be a chock-full show, but we start with the Oregon Ducks. We do that next. It is Luke and Buck taking over primetime on 1080. The All right, welcome back in. Luke Anderson filling in for Isaac and or Sook. Playing the other role today will be Buck. He will be uh, darting back and forth between Isaac and Sook himself. Uh, nobody producing. Uh, we're just winging it. We're letting the board just take care of itself.
1: Well, that's the thing about this uh, newfangled building, where everything can just run itself. We're only here to to catch the mistakes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, so so one of the things a producer would have told me if we had one was that we have to do the poll question first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously we don't have anybody doing that. So we'll have to delay our uh, Ducks talk just for a moment, uh, because I do have a question that came up today. I was looking at this, and I'm very curious to get your thoughts on this, uh, Mr. Buckley, and uh, the the uh, poll question going up right now at 1080 The Fan Twitter. Account is I assume it's at 1080 the fan at 1080 the fan and I am typing it as we speak. Can you do me a favor? Sure. Um, so I do not use the Twitter as uh, as you may or may not know um, because uh, it bores me. So once upon a time I was trying to find an account. So I thought at 1080 Luke would be a good account, right? I'm on 1080 the fan. My name is Luke. At 1080 Luke. It was taken. Please see if you can find that profile on Twitter if you're there now, and just tell me what you see, because I do find this delightful. In the meantime, the question that I have uh, that Buck is putting up on Twitter is, what is the most watchable of the New Year's six bowl games? And I would probably even take it a step further and go, if you could only watch one, what game would it be? So with that in mind, uh, I will give you then the... Where are they? Where are they? Um, I just have them all listed. Now, of course, I can't find them. The New Year's Six Bulls are, which I don't know if you count all of these. Anyways, Rose Bowl, you have number 11 Penn State versus number 8 Utah. Uh, you've got Alabama. Why is this? My computer is absolutely broken. And I have no scrolling abilities. This is awesome. Uh, you have the Orange Bowl, which is number seven Clemson at number six Tennessee. You've got the Cotton Bowl, which is number sixteen Tulane at number ten USC. Which that one kind of sneaky good there. Um, I wish I could get my computer to work. That would really delight me. I'm just here clattering away at the actual bowl no, uh, itself. So Sugar Bowl number five Alabama at number nine Kansas State. Uh, and then, of course, you have the two semifinal games: the Peach Bowl, which will be number one Georgia versus number four Ohio State, and then, of course, the Fiesta Bowl, which is Michigan and TCU. That's number two and number three. So, Buck, I'm going to throw it to you uh, if you have a moment when as you're clattering away, if you could only watch one of those games. Now, the semifinal games in the history of the college football playoff have not been the most entertaining college football games. Uh, I think we can all agree with that. So if you can only watch one of these games knowing that you have the ability to watch the championship game regardless of watching either of the semifinals, is there one that stands out to you?
1: Oh boy! Um, so so we're, we're we're leaving out the playoffs. This is, re- is this is correct. Yeah,
2: let's go ahead and leave out the playoffs for the poll question. Okay, um, and
1: so now I'm looking at the actual the the calendar by date, and because the NFL is playing on New Year's, we don't have any actual uh, yeah. New Year's. So so the New Year's six is technically the uh, January. Second, six.
2: Yeah, there you go. So Yeah, row. Uh,
1: <laughs> if you will.
2: Yes. <laughs> um, January two four, slash, which is only four. Slash, t- slash because,
1: 1230 because you also have the uh, the Tennessee Clemson game and the Orange Bowl, which is on the 30th.
2: Well, sure. and on the 31st is the two semifinal games. Of course. So, yeah. So, none of these actually on New Year's. Mm-hmm. But they uh, are
1: traditionally New Year's six.
2: Yes. Ex- <laughs> <laughs> can we just give up on college football and their traditions? Yeah, uh, we probably like, should. You can keep all the traditions you want as an individual school. Like, uh, almost maybe we just go, all right, uh, as, a, as an organization, us as college football, we are now giving all rights to all traditions to the schools themselves, and we are absolving ourselves from trying to do any traditions. Because the ones that they do, uh, they do lousy and uh they're not that great. So just let the schools have their own traditions. You can still do all of the things that you need to play your traditional rivalry games. What was the game this year? Oh, Louisville uh Cincinnati played this year uh in a bowl game. Now, which bowl game it was? I have no idea. But they definitely play- oh, they played at the Fenway Park one. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was yeah, the, was, it, was
1: it the Fenway Bowl?
2: What it was, was it? the Wasabi Fenway Bowl.
1: Oh, I, I forgot that Wasabi was a sponsor this but year. But
2: once upon a time that was the uh was it the Keg of Nails?
1: Um, is that, is that right? The keg of nails? I think, yeah. Um, but they're, yeah, they had an interesting rivalry like that. They are
2: separated by like a hundred miles and they played forever. And then they went into two different uh, conferences and they don't play. Leave it up to the schools and go, Hey, if we want to play Cincinnati every year at Louisville, we can do that. Leave it up to the schools. All right. I digress. So let's go from Penn State, Utah, Mm -hmm. Clemson, Tennessee. Uh Uh-huh. Which, oh boy, that just had, to me, that has zero juice.
1: And the thing is, it should have a lot of juice, if but, doesn't it, but it, it doesn't. I mean, yeah. like, on like if you if you told us at the beginning of the year, maybe that those two teams were playing in the New Year's Six Bowl, you'd be like, all
2: right. Yeah, mid, middle of the season. Right. Been yeah, all, even the, yeah, 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 absolutely. But it just uh, Tennessee kind of fell off. And Clemson, I don't know, every time Dabo speaks, it makes me like Clemson less. Oh, no kidding. So uh, he continues that role. Uh, and then you've got uh, USC Tulane. Yep. And then Alabama-Kansas State. So, I mean, I look, I look at that
1: slate, and I actually think I like the way Utah always shows up for bowl season under Kyle Whittingham, like, late in the year.
2: The one question you always have with bowl games is, well, do you think this team cares? Right. Do, Utah
1: cares. Utah almost always cares. <laughs> I think...
2: I don't know if it was last
1: year. Uh, He had been. I think Kyle Whittingham won his first eight bowl games as Utah's head coach before losing one or something like that. I mean, he has a stellar bowl record. I think it'd be huge for the Pac-12 for that for that reason to beat a a near top ten opponent in the Rose Bowl in a game that's traditionally a Pac-12
2: game. Well, and Um, I think it makes a big difference for the Pac-12 after USC loses to Tulane it's yeah. going to be that much more important.
1: And I, I honestly, I think that may happen because <laughs> when you talk about teams that care, and yes. teams that want to be there, USC just missed out on their playoff spot. Yep. And then, uh, and and now that they're, now they're playing a essentially a mid-major or a non, uh, a group of five school that, soon
2: to be soon to be big right.
1: But that very much wants to be there yep. and put their stamp on things. I think it's a, it's a dangerous spot for USC for that reason. I mean, I'm, in, I'm intrigued by really both of the PAC 12 games. So both the ones that PAC 12 is engaged in, but I'm I'm more for the USC purposes because I'm nervous that USC is going to lose and it's going to be a bad look for the Pac-12. For the Utah purposes, <laughs> that the Utah can go in and handle business against a traditionally powerful program.
2: All right, Texan is saying rose by a mile. Um, I just think USC plays a more entertaining brand of football. And I think you're right. I think there's also more of a chance for – well, I mean, I guess it really wouldn't be an upset if, upset if Penn State won. But between Penn State and Utah, tell me where the excitement is in that game. I don't. Where the, yeah. hi- the highlights of that game seem like they're going to be dull, which to me gives me the sense that a game is not going to be a shootout. Now. I could be wrong, and the other thing for me, though, a lot of games so far. I,
1: I, I have to be honest. Part of it's just the Rose Bowl bias. I I have like a, a romance with the, the Rose Bowl itself. Sure. Like I, lo- I I really do love the pageantry of the game. I love that they always kick it off at two p.m. so that the fourth quarter's always got the sunset and going you, down. Utah and wear like, chrome helmets and, so that it works. Uh, I mean, I've I've been to that game a couple times, yeah. and it it is to me, it's like the most special thing about bowl season is the Rose Bowl. So I kind of I don't want to say I don't care who's playing in it. I I do, but. It's it's as much about the game being special, and then be like, oh yeah, and the Pac-12 has a chance for a, another team to, you know, put their stamp on a big game.
2: Well, this could be one of the final two Rose Bowls that has that sunset time slot, though, right? Yeah, that's correct. So, listen, if you could only watch one, luckily you don't have to choose. But I think we both agree that Clemson and Alabama were just fatigued with those schools, yeah is that yeah. kind of the oh, sense yeah. you get those I'm not other two? I'm not
1: interested in watching that Alabama bowl game at all. I don't I don't care if they get killed or if they if they, if they if they kill Kansas State. I just I'm not interested.
2: Yeah, it really makes no difference. And if you had Kansas State playing against, you know, a different opponent, I mean, I mean even just swap them where you could go, let's say the game were uh, Tennessee Kansas State, I think that would be more interesting. Clemson Alabama both I'm just yeah, just I'll take a year off. Fair enough. I think I'm good. I think I'm good. All right, uh, you want to talk poll- about the ducks? Poll question is up at 1080 the fan on Twitter. Uh, it is brought to you by AAA Heating and Cooling. Uh, you have uh, the deets on that for the peeps.
1: Uh, I mean, well, Isaac always just tells people to vote and vote hard. But yes, oh uh, yeah, that <laughs> is critical. That
2: is critical. Uh, if if we were uh, remiss in saying that earlier, if you do vote. Please vote hard. Uh, but how do people get a hold of AAA? Heating uh, and AAA cooling?
1: Heating and
2: Cooling.
1: Let's see here. I know I have it. Oh, yeah. AAA Heating and Cooling. Uh, INC.com is where they can find them. So uh, it, AAA, AAA Heating and Cooling. INC.com. Okay.
2: Um, ladies and gentlemen, now. We will go, and we will talk about the Ducks. I'm very excited to get Buck's opinion on the game last night and the season as a whole because uh, they wrapped up a 10-1 season under a brand-new head coach, and they finished in dramatic fashion. We start uh, with the game, then to the season. We do it next. It is a Buck and Luke edition of Primetime on 1080 The Fan and the Odyssey app.
0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage
2: match limited by state law. No Isaac, no Souk. They're back on the third, I imagine. Does that sound right? That is correct. The (laughs) band will officially be back together. Ooh. Until what, like the 5th? Something like that, yeah. Sure, yeah. that makes sense. That makes sense. I've actually got a uh, 5th of January vacation booked this year. I'm pretty excited about it. A friend of mine- Where are we going? Goes to Bandon every year, the first uh, week in January. And last year, he called me up and said, hey, jump on the trip. We've got a couple spots open. Uh, a couple guys got COVID. Come join. 60 degrees in Bandon sunshiny we were pointing short sleeves in january it was awesome now it'll probably rain this entire trip cuz now i've booked onto the entire trip this year but i'm very much looking forward to it
1: i have a buddy who goes every year late january early february um yeah. b- you know because it's e- an easier time to get the reservation um and, and, and uh, well, all that. that's getting a little sketchy <laughs> the,
2: the actual reservation part was the hardest part
1: oh yeah yeah but then that's, he says it's just easier to get one oh, sure. in those months. Um, but he says usually they have a day that's horrible
2: weather, and they yep. usually
1: have a day that's fine weather, and then a little bit of in between. Yep. So.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. My buddy's been doing this trip for five or six years. Uh, said the exact same thing, but the other thing is it's way cheaper. Um, yes. The one thing that you rarely contend with in the winter, as I understand it, though, is you don't get nearly the wind. Mm. So, like, if you get off seems crucial there. Well, well, I mean it, it's not critical that you have wind to play. oh no no, no
1: no, I'm saying if it gets bad enough it can it can really mess with your oh, game yeah. there. but if
2: you're playing in August, it's like clockwork yeah like yeah. if if so August when rates are the highest uh bookings are the le- the the hardest to come by, that's when the wind is like Oh, it's going to kick up 11 o'clock in the afternoon when the sun's been on the ocean for, you know, a little bit of the morning. You will have winds, and they're going to be going between 20 and 60 miles an hour.
1: Yeah, have and fun. It, yeah, and I've, I've never been out to Bandon, and I will be making my first trip there in 2024. So we have a oh. uh, shout-out to the homie Cody who has a deposit down, <laughs> and, uh, and we'll be making that trip in a little over a year.
2: Yes, well, certainly uh, well worth the trip, that is for sure. Um, all right, so. Let's talk a little bit about last night's football Let's game. do it. So I mentioned it earlier. Uh, Bucky Irving kind of was the catalyst for keeping the Ducks in the game. Bo Nix the catalyst for winning the game at the end. Um, the perception of you know those two guys coming into this season, we'll get into in a little bit. But first, what were your biggest takeaways from last night's game and the just to go back to the last segment, how much the Ducks cared about winning that game because it sure felt like they did at the end.
1: Yeah, it's it was an interesting game because I felt like it was almost, uh, it, it was like there were three definitive chapters of that game <laughs> where it was like, it, it came out and it looked like their game plan was really solid. They were running the ball really effectively. And I thought they looked like they were in control for really the first 29 minutes of the game until they were going into score at the end of the first half. Yep. And then they throw the fluke interception, which then... Oh, is that fluky uh, just because it goes off a 2 Two guys' feet? Uh, two two guys' arms and one guy's foot, and then another guy's calf, I think. Yeah, oh, I think it was two. Was it two, two feet? Well, two
2: arms and two feet, and then just picking it up. It was the immaculate interception. It, it was, was a Franco wild. Harris now. It was very generous of them, I thought. It was, and it, but it, it led to what was certainly
1: either a 10 or maybe a 14-point swing with the, the way momentum was going sure. there. And then it was... Oregon not making adjustments in the at halftime, and it seemed like North Carolina very much did that. And Oregon was completely flat for I don't know fifteen plus minutes, really the entire third quarter plus a little before their backs were totally against the wall. And then like the old Oregon grit showed up, and like some of the some of the the fight we've seen in them in in. in tough wins this season like against Washington State or against UCLA that showed up big time late and I don't know what was missing in that third quarter cuz the first half went pretty well the third quarter was a disaster and then all of a sudden they buckled down and they got what they needed at the very end it was uh, it was a, it was definitely thrilling at the end although it was not thrilling from start to
2: finish <laughs> well I will okay so first you said the old Oregon grit okay. is Oregon considered a gritty football
1: no game? no no, no. And, and I I should <laughs> I should clarify that statement I okay. don't mean that like In in the in the the collective grit that the program has shown throughout history. No, no, I'm talking about when they were at their best this season, winning tough games that that evaded them down the stretch this year. You know, against Washington, against Oregon State, I I didn't think they had the the it plays they needed to get over the top in those games. Yeah, and and that fell and but they did in some of the. Tougher wins
2: early. That well, showed the up Utah again. win though was late in the season, and that was very gritty. With, true, yeah, true. So it's, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't know that there is an identity yet for Dan Lanning's Oregon Ducks because they they they're certainly different than what we saw from Mario Cristobal. There's a clear definition between the two eras, at least in my mind. Just watching their style of play. Now you lose Kenny Dillingham, and uh, another coach was gone today, and his name escapes me. But they're they're already being poached. Uh, uh, Matt Powellage is the guy who's okay. leaving today. Um, but the offense is going to look a little different without Kenny Dillingham on the sideline for sure, but you can get the sense that there is just a lot of energy and that comes from Dan Lanning. Yes. And and the way that he was embracing players after the end, excited, the way he grabbed the trophy at the end and just hoisted it, knowing that it meant something. He he very much has a feel of a guy that wants to be here for a long time. There is not another dream school out there for him. Um, but man, from a drama standpoint, and I don't know at what point I noticed it, but the entire fourth quarter, Bo Nix was limping severely. Yeah, um, and it was one of those things that we were, you know, kind of sold this bill of goods that oh, Bo Nix is back. Uh, North Carolina is missing guys on their defense, and you know this should be an offensive shootout. And it really was not that. Oregon was a thirteen-point favorite. Yeah, and the and the the over/under closed at seventy-six points. Yeah. I mean it was supposed to be a shootout and an Not... Oregon butt kicking and neither of those things happened. No, and, and it was funny because uh going into the Oregon State Florida game, I just kind of put it out there that, you know, listen, there's going to be a lot of guys on this Florida team getting their first shot. And that's actually something Dan Lanning said in a press conference leading into this game, where, you know, these bowl games are an opportunity to say farewell to a certain number of guys. Yeah, And, uh, you know, there's there's some seniors and super seniors leaving this Oregon Ducks program that, you know, you're bidding a farewell to. And then you have guys that are getting their first chances in these games. And I thought for Florida, man, there's so many guys getting their first chances that they can't go out there and completely lay Egg. Man, I was dead wrong about that. And then the perception that, that Oregon was going to kind of breeze past North Carolina, the Pac-12 is so much stronger than the ACC, and they're missing guys on their defense, uh, uh, moment. so he, he's not going to care. That ended up just being a hard-fought game with two programs that wanted to establish something. And, and for whatever you think of Mac Brown as a coach or his theatrics on the sideline, he had those guys very much ready to play. Oh,
1: both teams were really motivated. and, yeah. and, and unfortunately, that seems to be a rare thing in bowl season now. Yeah. Where well, outside of the playoff and maybe the New Year's Six, most of these games you don't see where both teams have a ton of juice and desire.
2: Yeah, and when you have a you have a young coach that is is amped about his first opportunity to play in a bowl game with yep. his new program. And then you have another coach that, you know, looks like he's been around the block uh, more than a few times, and I'm just checking in to see if if Mac Brown's going to die on the sideline. I'm just checking in. Like, oh, no, nope, he's alive.
1: Well, do you think, uh, someone pointed out, do you think he had revenge on the mind from uh, Joey Harrington uh, be- <laughs> beating him in the Holiday Bowl in 2000, <laughs> 22 years ago?
2: Maybe, but they did go through the list. I will say the Holiday Bowl, uh, and I know it was just a few select names that they pick, and not every year it's great, but did you see when they did the list of MVPs from past Holiday Bowls? Yeah, it, it was pretty, it pretty was- impressive. Pretty good. Who's who? You had uh uh you had Jim McMahon, Steve Young, Marshawn Lynch. I think Drew what you Harrington. frequently
1: get in the holiday bowl is and especially back then, you get the team that was Rose Bowl bound and just barely got knocked off and you know had yep. had the one hiccup. So you'd usually get talented teams of talented players.
2: They did not mention uh during the broadcast at all, which I found to be a little bit disappointing, that uh back in I believe nineteen ninety seven or nineteen ninety-six My brother Frank played in the Mountain View band during halftime at the Holiday Bowl. So I was very disappointed. They didn't, it didn't put didn't his make name up on the graphic, They huh? did not. It didn't even make it into the... I mean, the Mountain View band didn't even make it in, which, you know, that's an oversight. But then not to mention Frank Anderson as part of that band. Uh, it just seemed... Maybe maybe it was when I went to the restroom or something like that, but it uh, seemed like an oversight in the broadcast. But, hey, I'm not a television producer. Well,
1: at least he's had that recognition now in the greater Portland area. Well, that's
2: the, it's the least that we can do. So here's our shout-out from 1080 the Fan to the Mountain View High School marching band. Well done. There you go. Good job, Francis. All right. uh, I want to talk more about this season, though. So as I as I mentioned, so Bo Nix coming into the game. I think there's a lot of Duck fans and you and I have not spoken about this. So I don't really know your opinion that we're very disappointed that Bo Nix, that Huckleberry that threw that miraculous pass to beat the Ducks in his first game and then did nothing until the moment he was transferred to the Ducks in, I think, a lot of Duck fans' opinions. Uh, and then a bunch of no-name running backs in coming out and playing against Georgia to where they finished this season. So we'll do that uh, next. It is a Luke and Buck edition of Primetime on 1080 The Fame.
3: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medellin is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward.
2: Welcome back in. The Ducks ended their season with a victory last night. Super exciting. Dramatic fashion. Oh, we didn't talk about uh, the most dramatic fashion. Oh! Off the upright! And good!
1: You mean that right there by Gus Johnson?
2: 100%, dude. Come on! That was that was as far off the upright as you can hit it without it going without it missing.
1: I uh, I mean yeah it, it it just shot in at a ninety degree angle that barely barely. I mean the
2: only the only way it could have been more dramatic is if he hit both uprights and it went in and it damn near did almost double doinked it. Yes, now that was uh, that was fantastic, uh, fantastic finish, fantastic game. Uh, I mean. Ten and three. If I gave you ten and three in year one with Dan Lanning, uh how you feeling at the beginning of the season?
1: I think uh, if you if you told me at the beginning of the season that they've finished ten and three, I'd say that's a great first year for a new head coach, especially okay. a young one. Okay. I think that uh, I think there are layers to that though, because I think when you look at what the losses are, two of them really sting, and one of them <laughs> yes, one of sure. them I think you expected obviously the Washington line. the tallest of all orders <laughs> <laughs> the tallest of all orders with your new head coach playing the defending national champion that he just himself coached uh and
2: yeah but know, it, the the way they lost that game too, I think yeah uh, also kind of represents it an and early. so then even and then so if you
1: ask that same question after the first week and you tell me they finished ten and three after getting yeah. beat by forty six to Georgia then I'm freaking thrilled but you look and at a game, a game against, win against against UW that it looks like they should have won Bo Nix is hurt they can't they can't yep. get the plays they need at the end and that one slips through your fingers and then you go into your rivalry game and you build a 21 point lead and you're dominating your rival and at dur- their dur- place
2: dum-
1: and they don't throw a pass for a quarter and a half and come back to beat yeah. you I mean those are gonna be tough to swallow for a while but Zoom out a little bit, and you look at ten and three with a thirty-six-year-old head coach who's got the program moving or program moving in a direction that is his and new and different from you know the Cristobal era and eras past. Like I, I think it's a good thing. I think I think they are moving in the right direction.
2: Okay, you look at those. You look at those losses, and they kind of remind me of another coach's early tenure. You get in any shades of Jim Harbaugh and the way he used to lose to Michigan State and Ohio State. Yeah, that's a good that's a good call. You know, but well, it's it's this idea that like, oh, you you can't have those losses, those types of losses, um, where it's just it's you know just a bad mistake or you know a bad quarter of football that ends up losing to your rival. Man, those things happen in all of those games. So, Mm -hmm. like, you can't get over it for a while. You know what? It just makes it that much sweeter when you bounce back. I don't disagree. Win next year. I mean, it's just it's part of the 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 lineage of the whole thing. And what's really interesting is, I think that there was a lot of people that looked at it and went, "Well, Dan Lanning's in a good position. He's coming in with the cupboards full." Uh, you know everything that Cristobal did. He he, you know, he put you in a good position. You've got Jay Butterfield and Ty Thompson. You've got these two. You know four star quarterbacks that are sitting there. Look at all these running backs you got. Well, Byron Cardwell and Seven McGee have both already transferred. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think Butterfield's who, transferring. Butterfield's going to transfer. Well, yeah, but th- they didn't not only did they not use those guys, like they brought in these transfers that nobody had ever heard of. And like Noah Whittingham, when he went in the Georgia game, you're like, who?
1: Well, and that's the thing about, and and that's what makes me encourage for Dan Lanning in the future is that these were with brand new parts and guys that hadn't played together. And if you can do, if you can get this sort of productivity out of guys that you just picked up, you you hear this all the time in, in college about, you know once a once a coach has been there 3 years and gets his guys yes. in the program and and sometimes i think that gets bandied about too much but you know you had you had Cristobal's guys in here before, and then and you want to run things a little bit differently scheme wise, and you have different emphasis uh, points and things like that. And you're right. I mean, you you talk about the quarterback position, and you hear Bo Nix, which to Oregon fans only signals the guy I wanted to be quarterback isn't good enough yet, and I have to settle <laughs> yep. for a
2: guy who I already don't think is very good. Exactly. Yeah, oh, same numbers as Anthony Brown. And, he tur-
1: and then he turns into a Heisman candidate midway through the season, and yep. you know that's partially because of the staff that Dan Lanning hired and the people that he surrounded the program with. and and surrounded the players with. And I think, though, if you imagine those being not so much spare parts, but things that he could pick up just the season before he used them. And and a late hire. And and late hires, yes. Then what can you do when you've got a little more runway to work with?
2: I think 100%. And the idea that all five stars – are a perfect fit for every system or with every program or with every, you know, they're, they, they can't fail prospects. I mean, Justin flows one of those guys. And I've, Mm -hmm. I've talked uh, my wife has an uncle that lives in Southern California and he has sons that played football and he remembers watching Justin Flo in high school. And he's like, that guy was just a man amongst boys. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, most of them were boys, <laughs> yeah. like, literally boys. Almost every player
1: you see playing on Saturdays for a Power 5 program was way better than everyone they played against in well, high sure, school. sure,
2: absolutely. But the, Especially but going those five stars. In, yeah, but going in and buying into what a program's going to do and and figuring out the way to play college football. Understanding your role within it. Yeah, I think it was Joey talking about this last week or week before when uh, with Isaac about how you, know, you have to figure out how to do all of the little things that involve being away from your family plus you have to learn a more complex playbook, plus you have to get a, a work ethic that that you know rivals your, your best opponents. And there's a reason that a lot of three-star guys make it into the NFL and were overlooked because other guys develop later. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, being that, like, we all played with that kid who was, you know, shaving in ninth grade and was dominating the freshman football team and nobody could figure out why he was so much bigger, faster, stronger. But guess what? You see that guy today? He's the same high he's 40 pounds heavier he's lost all his hair but you're like man i remember when that was the biggest kid in school yeah. and here you are standing head and shoulders above him well and
1: often that guy didn't have to try very hard growing up oh, and, sure. then, and then when it comes time that the, the physical talent runs into the wall where it has yep. to get the only way over is by working harder that work isn't always there and so the, the three stars have had to work the whole time yep. they get that and then they, and they continue to develop and get better while you know sometimes the the, the top guys hit a wall
2: yeah, yeah, no question. Well, and in, in, in the NFL, you get to the you get to the next level, and it's like those five starts to good, decent, nice careers or right. whatever, and just yeah. kind of hang out because they have all the physical tools to it. Meanwhile, Eastern Washington's Cooper Cup is somehow this unstoppable force in the NFL, and nobody saw him coming out of high school. And Two you know, star Patrick
1: Chung, uh, almost a decade <laughs> yes, winning the Super Bowls go. with the Patriots. You know, yeah,
2: yeah. So there's there's a million examples of it, but it's very interesting because what we've seen is that Dan Lanning. Not only has the recruiting chops that Mario Cristobal had, he seems to have the eye for talent, uh, certainly in skill positions that, that Mario Cristobal feels like did not have. And if we look at one year as a resume in Miami, uh, feels like may not have. Um, but what we don't know is that development piece. And that's where that three-year window really gets interesting. But I, I don't know. I mean, you just watch that game. Tell me if, if you're watching, you don't want to play for Dan Lanning. Oh, I absolutely do.
1: I mean, I – and, you know, we get the benefit on this show of of usually talking to him once a week uh, during the season, and I I think that there is something genuine there where it's more than just the cliche coach-speak stuff. I think – I mean, Mario Cristobal was an aces recruiter, and I do think he really connected with kids. But when you're talking – when we were talking to him in the media – Sometimes it felt a little bit hollow or a little bit pointed or a little bit, I'm just putting this on because I have to. There's something genuine about that guy's demeanor, about the way he speaks with people, that I think is real and authentic and is is going to go a long way. And so if he really is someone who galvanizes groups of people and brings people together and puts them in the right spots, uh, there are good things coming.
2: Yeah, well, if he can hire a good staff the first time, it looks like he's working on uh, filling out uh, staff a second time. It'll be very interesting to see what the future is of the Ducks and the Beavers, another 10-3 and 3 team uh, right here in Oregon. So it's going to be really fun to watch over the next few years. I think we've all decided that Jonathan Smith is, uh, is pretty much a great head coach and a program builder, and it feels like Dan Lanning very much has that. So. If you're an Oregon football fan, if you're an Oregon State football fan, if you're neither and you just happen to live in the state of Oregon, I think we're very lucky where we're positioned. Um, But right now we need to talk about something that is confusing me. Uh, Buck, what the hell is going on with NFL quarterbacks? Because right now, I have no idea. We'll start Hour 2 with that next. It is uh, primetime on 1080 The Fan.